At the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2, there is beautiful poetry and theology that describes how everything came to be. Our scriptures begin with not one, but two creation stories. In the first story, we have this beautiful poem of how God speaks everything into existence. The sun, the moon, the stars, oceans, deserts, forests, and mountains, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, every creeping, crawling, jumping, and running creature all comes into existence as God speaks. And at the end of that poem comes the crowning jewel of all creation, humankind, you and me. Let us make humankind in our own image, God says. And then in the second creation story, there is an even more intimate scene that God stoops down to the earth and forms us from the dust and the dirt and humankind is crafted and formed by God's own hands. And then God breathes into our nostrils and fills our lungs and we become living and breathing human beings. Every inhale and exhale are reminders of God's breath. The very thing that makes us alive, the air that we breathe, a reminder of the God who created us. And that is who we all are intrinsically, the divine breath-filled image of God. Each one of us created by God's love. Each one of us worthy of dignity because our value comes from the God who made us. But as beautiful as that poetry is, as stunning as that theology might be, we have been far better in the history of our species at dividing ourselves from one another than we have been at living in our equality as the image-bearing creations of God. The sign of sin in our world is not only our estrangement from God, not only our distance from God, but also our estrangement and distance from each other. We have been really good at building walls to divide ourselves. We have created boundaries and borders around nations and tribes. We have separated ourselves on the basis of language and culture. Even within our own societies, there are divisions. There are divisions on the basis of class. How much money or wealth does a person have? Religion, the way that we conceptualize and worship God, has been an easy way of estranging ourselves from each other, not only between different religions, but also within religions. How many branches of Christianity are there nowadays? These days, politics, whether we're liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat, has added an accelerant on the fires of division. Now, of course, not all of our divisions are an indication of a broken and estranged humanity. That would be a gross overstatement. As serious as it is during college football season about who, if you cheer for Michigan State or University of Michigan, I'm not sure, at least I hope it's not, a sign of our estrangement from each other. But we have been very good at dividing ourselves from each other. And as we continue today in our discussion about what it means to be Easter people, we arrive here in this section of the book of Ephesians where Paul addresses one of the most significant forces of division and estrangement in his own context, the separation and enmity that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Jews being the people of God, the children of Abraham, the heirs of the covenants and promises, and the Gentiles just simply being everybody else, someone who wasn't Jewish. A simple and straightforward way of bifurcating all of the people on earth. The earliest church, the community that formed immediately after Jesus' resurrection, 
was entirely a Jewish movement. Jesus was Jewish. All of his followers on earth were Jewish. The disciples who proclaimed him as a Jewish Messiah believed that he had fulfilled Jewish hopes and expectations. In a few weeks, we're going to hear the story of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit makes a dramatic entrance into the world with tongues of fire, a violent wind, and the speaking of different languages. It's the birthday of the church. And those who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at that point are all Jewish followers of the Jewish Messiah. And so the question that confronts the church in those earliest days is, can Gentiles become Christians? Can they be part of the continuation of the mission and ministry of the Jewish Messiah? And the initial answer is no. At least not until they convert to Judaism first. But really early on, the Spirit starts doing dramatic things. And you can read these stories in the book of Acts. There's a story of the Ethiopian eunuch, an official in the court of the Ethiopian queen. Not only is he a Gentile, someone who's not Jewish, but he is also a eunuch. And the book of Deuteronomy is very clear that eunuchs are not allowed in the assembly and the people of God. And yet, he wants to be a follower of Jesus, and so he asks Philip, one of Jesus' disciples and an apostle, is there anything that's preventing me from being baptized? Anything that's preventing me from being part of what Jesus continues to do in the world? And Philip says no, and Philip baptizes him. A little while later, Peter, after having a vision from God, goes and eats with a Gentile, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Peter, the good Jewish man that he was, following the rules at that time, was not supposed to share table fellowship with someone like Cornelius. And yet, it is God who led him to that table. And Peter baptizes Cornelius and his entire household and all the other Gentiles in that area and something strange happens. The Holy Spirit descends on those Gentile believers just as it happened at Pentecost, and they too are filled with that same Spirit. When Peter returns to Jerusalem, the people ask him, what are you doing eating with Gentiles? And he says, God shows no partiality. And then in Acts 15, we have the first council in the history of the church and the reason for that council wasn't to debate in what nature, in what sense was, was Jesus both God and human. It wasn't to discuss the Trinity or the sort of things that get tossed around in the ivory towers of theology. Up for debate was, can Gentiles, outsiders to the Jewish faith, become Christians without first becoming Jewish, without first becoming like the rest of everybody else? And speaking on the floor of that first council was Paul. And Paul had already been ministering among the Gentiles, and he had seen how the Spirit of God had been at work in their lives. And we know the outcome of that, that discussion. Because you and I, Gentiles, non-Jewish folks, are here following the Jewish Messiah, trying to continue on his mission and ministry in our own time and place. I've said it a few times over the last several weeks, and I'll probably say it a few more because I think it's important, that Easter, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, helps us to see the world not as it is, but as it could be. And I believe that that early church, filled with and led by the Spirit, saw the world as it could be. They saw a world that was free of walls, free from divisions, a world that was united together in humanity. It was the realization that all 
walls. All of the ways of dividing and estranging ourselves from each other are simply human constructions that don't need to be there. At, that heart, at the heart of that early message was reconciliation, reunion, and a new humanity. Those were not ancillary and secondary concerns. Those were concerns that were at the very heart and center of how they understood the gospel, how they understood the good news of Jesus Christ. For Paul, this was the most important aspect of what it meant to be the church. Jews and Gentiles living together in one humanity. That was the gospel. That was the good news for Paul. The good news was reconciliation and reunion. And that theme fills his letters. In fact, his angriest letter is his letter to the Galatians. And the reason why he's so angry at them is because there are some Jewish Christians in that community who are saying to the Gentile Christians that you cannot be part of us because you have not been circumcised like us. You can't be part of us because you're not like the rest of us. And to them, Paul says, you are preaching another gospel. You are not preaching the message of Jesus Christ. This is the good news in Jesus Christ. The walls have been torn down that when Jesus walked out of the grave, we are given a vision of the world made new where all of those ways we are estranged from one another don't have to be there. There is new creation and new humanity. And let's be clear about something really important here. That Jews and Gentiles living together in community didn't mean that one group was forced to become the other group. Jews didn't become Gentiles and Gentiles didn't become Jews. The God who made us all in God's image is a God who loves diversity and uniqueness. And so that new humanity is unity that exists amidst all of that difference and distinction and uniqueness. What is destroyed, Paul says, is the enmity that existed between the groups. Those dividing walls are torn down. Now, I mentioned in passing last week that Paul kind of likes to soar off a little bit in his theology in Ephesians. You kind of have to pull him back down to earth sometimes. The dividing wall that he talks about could very well have been the dividing wall in the temple in Jerusalem. So in the Jerusalem temple, the Gentiles could go to the place called the court of the Gentiles, but then they could go no further. And there was a literal wall there that said, no Gentiles beyond this point on penalty of death. It could have been that that wall was still standing as Paul wrote down those words, that the dividing wall has been destroyed in Christ. There's a a concept in theology known as the already but the not yet. The already but the not yet. That is to say the kingdom of God, what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection is real and true already, but we are still waiting for its final fulfillment. Yes, It is true that Jesus tore down the walls of division between Jews and Gentiles, but it's still being worked out. It was still being worked out in Paul's own time as well. And there are places in our own world where the wall still stands that, that yes, Jesus overcomes all of those ways we are estranged and separated from one another, but we know by simple observation of the world around us that those divisions are still very real and still very true. And because Easter gives us that ability to see the world as it could be, we are keenly aware of those places where the world is not as it could be. And nowhere in our own society has this been more evident and sustained than when it comes to racism and race. 
The idea of race is an invention, a wall that we as a society have constructed. There is nothing scientific or intrinsic about the idea of race. There is no basis in biology or genetics. There, of course, have been attempts throughout history to connect those things scientifically and biologically, but those have all been proven to be incorrect. In fact, what geneticists have found is that the theological and poetic proclamation found in Genesis actually has some truth to it that 99.9% of our DNA is identical to each other. Physicist Ricardo Sabatini has shown that if we had a printed out version of our genetic code, it would cover 262,000 pages, or about 175 large books. And of those 262,000 pages of our genetic code, only about 500 would be unique to us as individuals. What geneticists have found is that there is more genetic diversity between the populations of Africa than there is between Africa and the rest of the world. That ethnic groups within Western Africa are more genetically similar to ethnic groups in Western Europe than they are to ethnic groups in Eastern Africa. Race without any basis in science, biology, or genetics is simply something that we invented, something we created. And that is not to deny its existence or its power. It is simply to say we made it that way. It is a human-built wall and a way of stratifying society. Because depending on what side of that dividing wall you find yourself on, it will dramatically impact how you experience that division. I read recently that racism gave rise to the concept of race and not the other way around. That racism gave rise to the concept of race and not the other way around. That race is born out of the idea that certain folks are given higher status in society, that are deemed more worthy of certain benefits and advantages, all based off of these humanly constructed categories. And in our American context, that has meant that those who are considered white are given benefits over those who are considered to be black. And those categories in and of themselves are socially constructed and invented, it's not as simple as saying someone who has white skin is automatically considered to be white, because that's not historically true. For example, there was a time in our history when Irish immigrants were not considered white. Or another example, in 1908, there was a group of 17 immigrants from Finland who sued the government to be considered legally white so they could become naturalized citizens. It's a constantly influx category. And on the other side of that dividing, while the definition of black has simply meant someone who wasn't white, that definition of black was originally used to define who could be enslaved. And over time, that has evolved into things like Jim Crow, redlining, voter suppression, mass incarceration, and other forms of injustice. And it would be easy for us to think that racism, that dividing wall of racism, is simply overcome by changed attitudes. That all racism is, is prejudice. And certainly that work of dismantling that dividing wall involves our own interior work, that acknowledgement of personal prejudice, the ways that walls may have been constructed in our own hearts. But that's never the end of the process. That Paul points to something in his own context that is much bigger than just attitudes and personal feelings. He points to a real structure that exists. And Paul acknowledges that there is difference that exists on both sides of the wall. That for the Jews in his context, for the Jews it meant that it was life with God. For the Gentiles, it was distance and estrangement from God. 
And so for us too, it is acknowledging that the structures of race and racism have given benefits to some and not to others. It's acknowledging that there have been very real injuries, very real injustice, and very real ways that the image of God has been betrayed, not only in others, but also in ourselves. It is coming to terms with the fact that racism as it exists in all of its forms has caused harm, and then seeking to make amends for that harm that has been caused. Because dividing walls, especially this one, stand in direct contradiction to the hope of our faith, the vision that Paul and those earliest Christians fought so hard for, the new humanity found in Christ. And because we are Easter people, we believe in a world as it could and should be, we hold on tightly to the fact that we are all the breath-filled, image-bearing creations of God. That we believe there is a possibility of a world where these sorts of divisions are overcome. To paraphrase Jim Wallace, the former editor of Sojourners magazine, none of us are responsible for the creation of that dividing wall. None of us are responsible for the creation of that dividing wall. But by becoming aware of it, we are now responsible for tearing it down. That Paul and those early Jewish Christians did not create the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, but they, seeing the good news, they saw in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it gave them the responsibility for tearing it down. And filled with the Spirit, they became the wrecking crew. Our Easter vision, our ability to see the world as it could and should be, fills us with that same Spirit, to be the wrecking crew to that dividing wall of race and racism, to seek that world of racial justice and racial reconciliation. And we fulfill our responsibility. We begin to fulfill our responsibility when we are engaged in our own education, our own growing awareness, and our own seeking of justice. This is not an ancillary concern to the message of Jesus Christ. This is the message of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation, justice, new humanity, walls of division and estrangement laying in ruins. That's the good news. And because we are Easter people, we have the vision, we have the the spirit-filled energy to seek that world where those walls are torn down, to become the wrecking crew to all that divides us and to seek that new humanity found in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.